The sound you're hearing right now is me running late as usual and heading over to my brother's high school graduation. Hmm, let me just fast forward so we can get there faster. And so you won't have to hear my road raging at all the red lights I had to stop at. Let's see. All right, that's probably good. As I engage in a friendly conversation with the parking attendant, I begin reminiscing on my own high school grad, a bright-eyed optimism fueling my strut across the stage. No, my brother is. Yeah, so it's exciting. My mother's Sudanese battle cry heard in the distance of the Jubilee Auditorium as I received my diploma. Good times. And then the real world hit, and that bright-eyed optimism vanished pretty quick as I went right back into school with little delay. Walking into the auditorium where my brother's grad was located, I met with my absolutely gorgeous sister, who, in case you're wondering, really did get all the good looks in the family. Not that I'm, you know, jealous or anything. Thanks to our meandering and general ridiculousness, we get a bit of a scolding from a woman at the auditorium and find our way to our seats. I spot my mom seated near the edge of the stage, looking cute and happy as ever, and the grad proceedings begin. Watching the choir, I'm reminded of the fun times I had in my own high school choir. I look to my right, and I find my not-so-little brother's fresh fade towering over the rest of his classmates with his gargantuan height. I look to my left, and I see my mom, who's still smiling with pride. The graduation finally ends, and we're all eager to meet our brother to congratulate him. My mother expresses her annoyance with me that I didn't buy flowers for the event like I had promised, and we go out to rejoice and take pictures with family and friends. Good, I guess. I don't know. That's a good response. It's really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Sensational. <laughs> nice work. How does it feel for you? Better happiness. <laughs> if you've been here since the beginning, you know that my mother graduated from college for the first time in 2016. I was so proud of her, and I knew in that moment as I saw her dressed in a rented robe and fitted cap that she was proud of herself too. <laughs> But to understand just how important this life event was, here's some context. So when you were younger in Sudan, uh, did you want to go to school? I want to go, but I grew in village. My mom grew up in a really small village in South Sudan. My dad is not a city man, he's a village man. And because she and her family were so far from the city, school was never really an option for her until Christian missionaries made their way to her village. When the... The Christianity way coming in our area. We're going to join church, me and my two brothers. The missionaries brought with them Bibles written in Nur and a lesson about Jesus. Eventually, Eventually they, joined the, they joined the church. church. And, and church people, they teach us for uh, reading and writing in the church because you want to know to read the Bible. If you don't go to school for a new language, you don't know what the God said in the Bible. I don't know how to follow the world. So schooling at that time did not really resemble the school that I'm used to. 
School for my mom was actually just learning how to read the Bible, maybe a couple of hymns. Her learning was completely and solely facilitated through and by Christian missionaries in the region. When she came to Canada, it was kind of the same thing. So what did you think of school when you first came? It was I going to Catholic immigration, mm-hmm. and then they opened the ESL. Mm-hmm. They teach the people for how to know how to know the language in Canada, mm. and they teach us how to cook uh, Canadian food. Everything. So it wasn't like the school that I go to. Huh? It wasn't like the school that I go to. When you are young? Well, all the school I've been to, like, not learning, like, history and math and things like that. No, we don't. We don't have a math in there. Mm-hmm. We just learn uh, alphabet mm-hmm. and uh, reading all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they teach us by writing. Because that's the part they don't know how to. Did you know how to write before? Uh, no language, a little bit. No English? No. I don't know English even what. I don't say I. But within two years, she started to get the hang of things and began speaking English. Soon, it started to feel natural for her to say things like, how are you? How's it going? How was your day? Nice to meet you. And what do you name? Do you know where the bus stop is? And, and name for some food? Can I get a poutine, please? But when I came in Canada... Once my mom started to go to school to learn English... I, I see the difference between Ethiopia, between Africa and She here. couldn't stop thinking about the differences between Canada and Sudan. For one, you just go sleep and maybe the fighting coming, day maybe fighting coming sometime. She was safe. She could go to sleep without worrying about war, but also there was opportunity here. Life could be different. I want my kid to go into school. That is my goal in Canada. I want my kid to succeed. Why is school so important? Why is it why do you want us to go to school so much? Because I want your life to be better than than my life. When I don't know language in Canada, I have I mean I don't have education in 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 this time. It's not good. Education is very better life. A better life to have a knowledge about the life. This is a speech it's I've heard all my life. In fact, it's a bit of a formula. Get good grades in high school, plus go to a good university, plus become a doctor or a lawyer or something else even more dignified, equals have a better life. This is the immigrant family mantra. This is how you make your family proud. This is how you lift your family out of poverty. This is how we succeed. And this is the subtext of every assignment, every test, every extracurricular activity. The fact that you are one of the lucky ones. The fact that you have been handed a key to a more prosperous future. You are your ancestors' wildest dreams. That's why I told you and Yabel, you don't need to marry when you are young. You would rather us go to school than be married? Mm, when you finish your school, you're going to marry. When you are not finished, and you need to marry in that time, I don't want that. Because I married when I'm young, 
That's nothing. That's nothing. I don't know anything. But I want my kid to go into school. Really, really, that is my goal. And from the world when I'm still alive, I need all of you to be near school. You are a school. Mm-hmm. That is my goal. I don't want it to be like me, all of you. Me and my siblings are first-generation Canadians, which means that no one in my entire line of ancestry has been Canadian before. Outside of South Sudan, Ethiopia, and Kenya, there's been very little migration. Within that small history of migration, there has been war, genocide, famine, and the understanding that, though you know, admittedly it is unverifiable, we are the most educated members of our ancestry. I myself... I'm one of the most highly educated women in my entire family, for no reason other than luck. I, out of countless others, have been given the opportunity to go to school, to avoid the cultural expectation of child marriage, to be seen for my potential. I am one of the lucky ones. Um, You know, uh, women in the Sudanese community, a lot of them aren't educated, right? No. Not a lot. So you're... 95% they're not. Very few. And what do you think about that? It's bad. But we don't blame ourselves because we grow in the poor country. If we grow in Canada, we yes, we're going to blame ourselves. Mm-hmm. But we grow in there. And culture too, the village people, they don't like girls to go inside the city. In the city? Yeah. They don't like the girl to go into the city. They like you to get married for the car. Hmm. So they just want you to stay in the village yeah, and yeah. be a wife mm. and a mom. Mm. Mm. They just need to sell you to the car because they're going to marry another girl for that one to build up the family. Did it bother you? It's they not bother me as a culture, but in uh, in now it's bad. Mm-hmm. They don't know it. They don't have knowledge about it. It's cool. So now that I don't blame my dad. Yeah, because they don't know how to do, how to go to to put their kid in in in, uh, in uh, school. They just work for their hand. In in there, yeah. So it's just something that happened, and mm-hmm. that was just life. Mm-hmm. Indulge me for a moment, and imagine a world where the sentence "that was just life" never existed, where this conversation wasn't necessary where women like my mother were encouraged to dream big, seek out an education, and were supported in their goals to reach their highest potential. So much of our world would be completely and totally different. We'd have seen more diverse and effective governments, less poverty worldwide, fewer child brides and infant deaths, 
we would have seen happier girls and stronger families. We would have seen more art, more innovation, more solutions, and more growth. We would have seen less violence, less death, and more empowered, powerful, and empathetic women leading the world in media, art, science, research, medicine, and more. My life would have been different. My mother's life would have been different. The world would have been so different and so much better. But those are all would-be's and what-ifs. And the reality of all this is that right now, 130 million girls today, 130 didn't go to million girls around the globe they didn't are denied an education. But because they weren't given those are our girls. There are an estimated 130 million girls out of school worldwide who might never get the chance to chase their dreams, read wonderful books, and write and share beautiful stories. 130 million girls who might face abuse instead of encouragement. 130 million girls who will never know what it's like to graduate from high school or university. 130 million girls who will never get the chance. And I'm constantly trying to remind myself that I shouldn't give up on what-ifs and would-bes. But it's hard to feel hopeful when sitting underneath the weight of entire generations of inequality and abuse. It's hard to see the progress that exists when you are constantly learning about the oppressive systems that have come together to hold you down and construct your reality. It's hard knowing what the world really is while also understanding that it doesn't have to be this way. And I hate that I see the world this way. I hate that I have to imagine a better world as if it's an impossibility. I hate knowing that there are solutions to this problem and yet the problem is still up for debate. I hate the way women, especially women who look like me and my mom, are treated. I hate that so much of a young woman's potential rests on what country she grows up in, what family she's a part of, what body she's born into, and which man decides to believe in her. I hate that my mother was one of those girls, taught that her world revolved around men, taught that her growth wasn't an important investment, taught that her only purpose was to satisfy a man. I hate that the systems around me expect me to accept that, move on, and be grateful that I'm not her. I hate all of it. And to be honest, I don't know how to reconcile my feelings, like so much of the details of my mother's life. I don't think I can. I have a lifetime's worth of resentment fueling my disgust with the systems of oppression that have held her, and as a result, me, down. I can say that I'll vote for governments who believe in uplifting girls in countries all over the world. I can say that I'll read stories of these young women and advocate for them through donation, through writing, through making this podcast. I can say that I'll be a dedicated and passionate advocate, but it doesn't feel like it's enough. And unfortunately, I think the reality of it is that my efforts alone aren't enough. What's the word? I am learning, however, that despite the fact that I cannot alone tip the scale, perspiration. Yeah, it means there is progress in front of me that gives me permission to, if for just a moment, recognize and feel safe in hope.
I find that hope in my little sister, who, unlike my mother, has someone to cheer her on. Someone to believe in her, encourage her, and tell her that her dreams matter. I find hope in knowing that in my small corner of the world, a cycle has been broken. That in this small but expanding corner, there will be no more child brides. There will be no more inaccess to school. There will be no more shame about being a woman with ambition. There will be higher education and expectations. Were there any words you didn't recognize? No, it's good. Okay. For there was always there will be no more untapped and discouraged potential. And, and there was always this is where it ends. This is where the cycle is broken, thrown out, and replaced with the hope of generations come and gone. And if I can find hope anywhere, I'm glad that it's here. Nestled in this little corner with me and my sister and a couple of beautiful little books and soon-to-be big dreams and futures. Thank you for listening to this episode of Daughter. Before you leave this podcast app, I want you to take one minute to leave a review. Just one minute. It goes such a long way and helps other people find the show. Please, please, please go do that. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, consider donating to my Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash daughter pdcst. Your contributions go toward helping me license music and hosting fees and some other stuff that makes this endeavor a little bit costly. As always, the music you heard in this episode will be shared in the show notes. And if you like the artwork shown on Instagram, make sure you subscribe to at by Marissa on Instagram and Facebook. And until next time, thank you for listening. And seriously, go leave a review. Water jugs.